0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, group void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you with a pair of podcast brethren. And we can say that now because all three of us on the pod actually host a pod. So let me bring in my two other guests. That would be Tito from Sister Blog Viola Nation. Hello, Tito.
2: Hey, Danny. How are you feeling today?
1: I'm doing all right. And we've got the newest SBN Italia podcast host, Bren from Chiesa di Toti. Hello, Bren. How's your yep. mic doing?
3: That's good. It's uh, my best Amazon purchase <laughs> since the, uh, the coat rack I bought. <laughs>
2: you well, live well, a truly exciting life.
3: No, it's one of those stand-up ones and it spins. As Honestly, one of the best purchases ever made on there.
1: <laughs> oh boy. The stuff that we find on Amazon.com. Well, we won't ask you to break down the, the coat rack any further, but we will be talking about the early stages of the Serie season and Obviously, as we know from Juventus' point of view, it hasn't exactly been a routine beginning to the season. And knowing that the first few weeks of October, or the first few days of October, I should say, involved the ending of the transfer window, we will start there. Um, I won't push the subject too hard with Tito because obviously he'll bring that up himself. But what do you guys... Bring what think? up? I don't know. But <laughs> what, uh, what do you guys first and foremost, what do you guys think of everything that went down these last few days of the transfer window and just how weird was it having it going on in October knowing that we are probably at this point creatures of habit and are used to, uh, used to, you know, the the days of October being about games and not transfers.
3: Yeah, definitely strange. I caught myself having to, um, at least put the little moniker at the end, summer slash fall transfer market. Um, yeah definitely weird i i I think it's continuing with the theme of twenty twenty you' are just out of sorts in every aspect of life. nothing feels like it's the same. nothing. every sense of time I have every sort of barometer I have for what's normal now, including in Serie A, is just completely gone. so to see transfers in October and especially on uh, the transfer deadline day at least for us, I was just tracking everything with Chris Smalling. and it was just I'd never filed anything you know that specifically and that pedantically to every single point, every single second, refreshing things. It was nuts. I don't even think I noticed it was October, but yeah,
2: it's um, a strange market for sure. Yeah, I'll second that. It was just weird looking outside and seeing the leaves starting to turn and then also being real busy hitting refresh on various tabs to see who was leaving, who was coming, and who was telling me that I should freak out about everything, although that last one does feel like a fairly year-round occurrence if you're a Fiorentina fan. So at least there's that nice little slice of normalcy.
1: Knowing this is a Juventus-hosted podcast, Tito, I will ask you about Federico Chiesa. I will not put salt in the wound, but the biggest thing we've been talking about is if Chiesa under Pirlo as a full, as a wingback can work. So as somebody who has watched a whole lot more Federico Chiesa than probably a lot of us at – the blog have, do you think Chiesa as a wingback can actually work in the long term?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think in some ways he might be best suited as a wingback. For one thing, through the first three games, his defensive work was just fantastic. I mean, there were a few times where he would lose the ball and sort of petulantly put his hands on his hips and not track back but he also did lead the team in defensive actions in one game. He's dropping all the way back. If you look at his heat maps, if you look at any of the stats, if you just watch the games themselves, you can see that he's getting all the way into that right back spot. He's helping cover the defender behind him. He he puts in the work defensively. Going forward, I think it might actually suit him as well. It gives him, when he gets the ball to feet in a wing back position, he's, you know, Further back, generally, it means he's not going to be marked as tightly. So it gives him a little bit of space to build up a full head of steam. And when you get Chiesa running with a full head of steam with the ball at someone, generally it's going to end better for him than for the defender. So I, I think in a lot of ways, he's a perfect fit for that role. I think the real question is how he adjusts to not being the man and being very much an ancillary piece, which hasn't really been the case for him for a long, long time. And that's something I think a lot of Fiorentina fans will be watching with a little bit of interest and certainly no uh, hopes for any outcomes there either.
1: That's been something we've, we talked about on our podcast is that maybe him not having to be the man might help. Do you think not being the man might help?
2: Yeah, I, I really do. Honestly. I mean, if you, I'm honestly a lot less angry at Chiesa than I think a lot of Fiorentina fans are, largely just because look at the teams he's played on in Florence, like, who's the best striker he's ever had? Half a season of Luis Muriel? Maybe Nikola (laughs) Kalinich, Like, you know, they, they haven't surrounded him with talent, so... Yeah, you know, you can't blame him too much in that regard. There are a few things that I think he could have handled uh, significantly better. We can get into that or not as necessary. But yeah, I, I think that he's got the kind of personality where he doesn't mind being more in the background. I mean, he's famously averse to like social media and promoting himself and living like the headlines lifestyle he's like consistently voted the worst dressed player on the team. He just doesn't care about any of the image stuff. So I think that he will adjust well to that, although it might take him a bit. And again, like he's a young guy, he's 22, like, you know, who you are when you're 22 is definitely not who you're going to be even three years later, ideally, at least that's, you know, considering uh, how my life changed in that little period. I'm really hoping that's the case for everyone else. So yeah, I'm, I don't know. I think that it could work out well. I don't know if he's gonna beat out Quadrado initially. I don't know if he'll beat out Kulusevski for that role in the long run, but he's a really good player. He can do the wing back thing just fine, I think.
1: From an outsider's point of view, Bren, I mean, you obviously have interest in the national team. Do you think Chiesa going to Juventus makes sense for him? I mean, obviously, it's something that he's wanted for a while. And, you know, there's basically been this rumor hanging around for, shoot, 12, 14 months now. I mean, from the big picture point of view, you know, countrywide spec. I mean, do you, do you think this just makes sense for him personally?
3: Um, it's funny you mentioned that. We actually talked about that on our podcast. We did a transfer recap for Roma. And I just we happened to talk about that because it was, you know, the biggest headline grabbing one. I think that we framed it as, was he making a mistake? Was he moving to too big of a club too soon? Was he going to end up like his, I don't know if they were teammates, but was he going to end up like Bernardeschi, just sort of not uh, living up to what he thought it would be, you know, moving, going from being a big fish in a small pond to moving up to Juventus where starters minutes are guaranteed. And from a Roman perspective, we viewed it a lot as, so we get a lot of players like that, who moved to Madrid or moved to Barcelona and realized that, hey, I'm not gonna play that much here and they end up in Rome and they do pretty well. So we talked about it like that. Um and certainly obviously he's a, a sensationally talented player, so I will be curious to see how he fits in. I wasn't aware that they were um thinking about making me as a, a wing back. To me that kinda seems like a last ditch resort. I remember for our team, at least, I wrote an article about Juani e. Turbe. Maybe that was his last hope, his last sort of chance of having a good old, career.
1: Good old Wani e. Turbe. Man. Yeah,
3: so it's kind of shocking to think that a player like Chiesa would, um, I don't want to say resort to that, but would be um, in the middle of a position change so early in his career. But um, I think he's certainly talented enough to hack it there, but I'm going to be curious to see, you know, how
2: patient and see how patient are they. I, I think especially, though, for a team like Juventus under Pirlo, where they've, shown a desire to keep the ball mostly he won't have as much defensive work to do it'll be much more of an attacking job so I, I think in that way it fits him really well again I mean like I think against say Crotone like he'll be fine as a wing back because like Crotone is not going to test him a whole lot on the back foot in the bigger games I think Cuadrado at this point is probably a better bet but you know yeah, maybe you can find another right-sided midfielder from Fiorentina who will work too. You y'all can have. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're we're running low on them at this point. He's, since y'all seem to be snapping them all up, but uh,
1: are any of them named Federico? Because that seems to be the trend lately.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm actually mulling a piece where we'll be getting into this a little bit, but uh, stay posted on that. We are definitely going to be putting all of our Federicos under lock and key for the next couple of years.
1: I mean, Brent can speak to it too. That the interesting thing that we saw in the Roma game when Juventus played was just how wide open it was and how Juve was being just crushed on the counterattack just nonstop. And I think that's why a lot of people were looking forward to the Napoli game this past weekend was just, you know, how Pirlo might be able to make right the wrongs that he did against Roma. And not trying to turn this into another Juventus podcast with two non Juventus fans, but. You know, just kind of going as a whole, I mean, what did what did you guys take from the transfer windows? And you, you I mean, you can talk about your your you know, your club specifically, but just kinda in general, I mean, do you think that a lot of moves were made to make this league even more competitive than it was say, you know, shoot it it feels weird to say that the <laughs> the last season ended about, you know, six, seven weeks ago, but it ended six, seven weeks ago.
3: Uh, I, I think that the first thing you need to know or that we need to know is I think just across the board in terms of total transfers and in terms of money spent, everything was down league wide. So they're really hurting, really hurting, obviously, because of the pandemic. And I think they're really hurting because they just don't seem satisfied with any of their TV distribution deals. I know they're trying several different things to sort of ramp that up. So I think that was certainly an effect. I know from us, we only had four um, new transfers all summer which was kind of strange. I mean, we covered as many rumors as we usually do because those just sort of pop up. But to only see four signings, and we've had times in the past where I think Monchi, his first year, signed like 12 players before the window technically opened. So to see it so suppressed like that was a bit strange. I think the only thing that sort of kept it interesting that kept it exciting for Roma fans was the Milik thing and just how that sort of hung up Dzeko's future it hung up his future, obviously. It hung up Suarez, um, Olivier Giroud for a while. Uh, So there wasn't much, but it just seemed like they were more interconnected than they had been in the past. I thought that was kind of interesting. I can't really tell if that's going to be the path forward. But, yeah, a strange year. Definitely deserved a strange transfer market. So I guess I wasn't shocked in that
2: respect. Yeah, I think for me it was – it felt like there weren't nearly as many deals that got done. Fiorentina bought almost no players. Uh, Pretty much all of their incoming guys were Bosman transfers, were a little bit older, which does kind of fit with uh, Daniela Prade's general strategy, but it's still c- kind of a letdown, even though Fiorentina were super active in the winter market, so I don't know if you can judge too much from it, but yeah, I, I think the, the lack of revenues, the just the general uncertainty is why there weren't as many moves and also why you saw some really strangely structured deals like Chiesa de Juve two-year loan, two different payments, and then a huge payment at the end. I, I think that's just teams trying to hedge their bets and make sure they don't fall afoul of uh, financial fair play, unless they're Milan, in which case like it obviously doesn't matter for them. Yeah, that's how our um, the Mirage kambula
3: deal was like that, too. It was essentially four different players changing places, three going there, one coming to Rome, but there were um, two-year loan slaps changing, which I, I don't think I'd ever seen multiple two-year loan slaps going. So very strange. I think you're right. They're just sort of trying to cover their ass, cover all their bases, I guess. Two-year loan
2: is the new co-ownership
3: deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the co-ownership deal. I, I kind of miss
3: those.
1: those. <laughs> As you mentioned, you know, the Chiesa deal and then the Alvaro Morata deal is kind of the same way where it's, you, you know, Juve can buy him after a year or they can have it be another year on loan and then buy him. And I mean, it's basically the same price either way. And there's different. Effects on on the books, but you throw in the Weston McKinney deal as well, where it's a a year of you know a loan loan year and then a a chance to buy him for a relatively cheap price for somebody of his talent level. So uh, as we all scream USA in the background, but yeah, it's just the you, you saw the economics of the of the pandemic taking taking effect, and like Tito mentioned, clubs are just banking on it being better or back to quote-unquote normal if that will even happen in a few years financially because you know if we're left with another year with no fans in the stands or you know a couple thousand what what's that going to be like on the on a team shoot like like you guys you do who are trying to build a stadium or I mean with you guys Brent who are you know I mean the roster turnover is constantly happening and and all that so I mean I, I can't imagine what if we're left with another year of what this year has been like post-March, what next year's transfer window might be just because who knows what kind of money will be there to begin with.
3: Yeah. And I I think from a, from a Roma perspective, they just, I believe set a a league record for debts like over, I think it was like 204 million euros they posted, I think between 18 and 19. So for us slash them, you couple that with the um, continuing struggles they've had to build, their own stadium and they just signed or they're going to sign a new kit deal with New Balance so I think they're really they could be feeling the brunt of it a lot worse than you know Juventus or Inter these larger clubs
2: with steadier revenue so it is kind of terrifying quite frankly yeah I can second that I, I think it's pretty telling that Rocco Camiso has come over and not really been involved in like player negotiations at all I don't think that's really his thing anyways but He clearly gets that uh, having a stadium is going to be how this team survives in the mid-term to long-term and is really trying to ram that through. And uh, Maybe it'll happen. It sounds like he's making progress, but holy smokes. I think until that happens, uh, it's going to be a lot more 33-year-old Bosman signings and uh, hoping that everything doesn't fall apart and the wheels stay on.
1: Well, as you mentioned on your last episode, Tito, of your podcast, the mayor of Florence is going on Fox Business Channel and basically begging for money. So, I mean, <laughs> if we think these clubs are hurting, just imagine what you know the, the towns, the cities, and the municipalities, and I mean, it's just it, it's ridiculous at this point because how much money that these places and clubs expected to be there at the beginning of the year are now like, well, Jesus, what, what the hell are we going to do?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it feels like a pretty delicate thing with the stadium building 'cause Like in in the U.S., where all three of us are based, you know, pretty much whenever a team gets a new stadium, it's because taxpayers are shelling out you know millions and millions and millions of dollars instead of paying for you know like schools and roads, which are perhaps <laughs> a better use of those funds. Are you talking, about, are you talking about the, you're talking about the Marlins.
3: <laughs> the- Built those, um, like those taxpayers for that stadium and they with that, that huge, ugly statue in the like, center field. And they sign like Jose Reyes and Mark Burley. Those are their huge, sort of big ticket items. And they trade them like a year later, all on the taxpayer dime. It happens everywhere, but Miami's always, to me, the funniest, well, funniest, most egregious example.
1: And then they sold yeah. the club for, what, a couple uh, billion, right?
3: I think so, yeah. I, it's kind of funny that like, you don't see that in Italy. That
2: they're not bilking their public.
1: <laughs> <building> their <laughs> I know you'd ex- you'd expect that <laughs> from a place yeah. like Italy. Yeah,
2: I I think the problem is that buying land for a stadium is so hard because most of the stadia are like kind of in town, and if you're going to build a new stadium, as we have seen in Florence, you're moving out to the suburbs, and then you have to deal with the suburbs and the mayor of the suburb might be part of the same political party as the mayor of the city and then therefore they're going to provide like present a united front even though they're not actually presenting it oh it's just uh i, I might need to go take some like ivy broken and lie down this is just working me up again
1: <laughs> all right we'll, we'll switch to something different then so tito doesn't have to go go drown himself in in painkillers but uh what are your, some you. of the <laughs> you're welcome what are some of the uh, early thoughts that you guys have on the season i mean you look at it and Atalanta's basically picked up where they left off. And I mean, the, the early parts of the season, the standings always amuse me because you look at it and there's always a few teams that are not going to be there are there just because of how the schedule might've played out or whatever. And you look at the standings as we sit here in the international break and Hellas Verona are sixth, Benevento seventh and Juventus is eighth. So, I mean, and even going a step further, Sassuolo is third. So, what do you guys make of the early stages of the season and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, who's, who's kind of surprised you the most at this point?
3: Well, I think the the key to victory in any Serie A match is to make sure you have all your players listed correctly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Not
1: that you know from experience.
3: No, uh, yeah, I was, uh, Oh, I think it was, yeah, opening opening week. Yeah, they had the draw against Verona, which is, you know, in and of itself, I guess is not that bad considering all the circumstances surrounding it. But then when you lose that single point because of a minor clerical error and the guy responsible for their quits and then signs with Verona for a, like the a similar or maybe even elevated position, it's a little fishy. And then... Yeah, I, I presume they're still appealing it, but then you look at what happened with Juve and Napoli, how they almost counted as a forfeit. It's like, okay, you can do that, but someone makes a minor error and that costs them a point on the table. So, I mean, that was sort of doomed us from the beginning. And then, obviously, the blown lead against Juve with that uh, Ronaldo header that was, just called unmarked, would be kind. Par for the course for Roma. It's just, you, you don't know what to expect, but it's like going
2: into the jungle. You don't know what to expect, but you're always scared. I Yeah, I'm not all that fussed about the standings this early. I mean, if, if we decided to freeze the table right where it is and just call it a season, I wouldn't be too upset. <laughs> but that said, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of conclusions you can draw this early. Yeah, I, I... I I don't have anything intelligent to say here. I'm just going to trail off into nothing and hope that Danny comes up with uh, another topic.
1: <laughs> it was just that talk of Fiorentina stadium that just rattled your brain. And now you can't get your thoughts back.
3: Yeah. I'm looking at it now and you see uh, Udinese and Crotone 19th and 20th. That's not that far fetched. I could see that holding, uh, you know, especially if I'm surprised they didn't, they didn't sell Rodrigo DePaul. It seemed like you know, what way they hanging on for, you know, he could have fetched quite a bit, you know, thirty-five or forty million, which I'm sure they could use. But I mean, is he really going to keep them out of the drop zone all year? I could see that holding true. Mm.
2: <laughs> it's an
1: audio medium, Tito. I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm still mad about that. Fiorentina have been linked to Depaul every transfer window for the past what two years, and it sounds like it just never quite works out. And like, yeah, man. Between that and Udinese wrecking Serie A's coefficient in Europe in the early 2000s so that Fiorentina finished fourth three years in a row and never made the Champions League. Yeah, Udinese can go kick rocks, man. I don't like those guys.
1: (laughs) Just an interesting side note on Rodrigo DePaul. I saw an article in the New York Times by Rory Smith, their European soccer writer, and he mentioned how little Argentinian presence there is or how little of an Argentinian presence there is in Europe's major leagues now I mean it I think in Serie A there's only 26 Argentinians in total so it's pretty damn interesting to see just kind of because you know you look at Argentina you know five ten years ago it's like all this all this talent and you know it's it's just overflowing and you look at the you know the players who didn't make the World Cup and you can probably plug them into a whole lot of other world cup squads and they would have been one of their better players. So yeah, just a, an interesting side note, but. Um,
3: I think they're just aging. They haven't really yeah. found replacements for me. I mean, that, that, the,
1: that, and that's, that's part of the thing is that. Yeah. I mean, know,
3: mean, who are the really young up and coming Argentine stars? I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of one right now. I mean, yeah, also, I mean
1: outside of Loctaro Martinez, I mean, who. who yeah. 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 I mean,
3: it seems I like most know, of them are late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, Paulo Dybala isn't young anymore. I mean, he is, I mean, he's, Still may look young in the face, but he's not. I mean, he's he's still you, you know he's mid twenties now. He's not, you know, not an up and coming player anymore by any means. So, yeah, was a long time
2: ago. Uh, but I think a lot of that too is a, uh, a lot of those guys are going to MLS now because they're getting to stay in the Western Hemisphere and don't have to deal with all the crazy stuff in Italy. I mean, look how many South American players are winding up in the U.S. now instead of like taking that one extra step before they make the jump to Europe. Well, that's because Gonzalo is going into it. too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, I've heard that he might wind up being a really good prospect. Uh, I've, I've heard might really bring Argentina some uh, some silverware on the international scene once he, you know, gets a little more experience. He did have a pretty good free kick goal I saw the other day.
1: He did score a very good goal yeah. for Inter-Miami. That was his, his first Inter-Miami goal, I believe, and.
3: Yeah, it, it's that still fun- sounds so weird to me. It,
1: it, it's funny how that that is that became the club where Juventus unloaded their over overpaid players. But good old Sammy Kadira is still around, so that's you know is what it is. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the
0: weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office
1: As we saw firsthand from a Juventus standpoint, the Serie A protocol for coronavirus isn't exactly going as swimmingly as it might, or it should be. Just what do you guys think about how, now that the virus is very much in Serie A and I mean, it's coming back in Italy as as a country as a whole, maybe not in other, like other places around Europe, but I mean, do do you feel like, I mean, we, we know the Genoa outbreak is, is, really the outlier at this point but you know as as more and more cases seem to be popping up where you know it might be be one or two and maybe three but yeah I mean what do you guys think of how this has suddenly become a real thing that clubs are having to deal with and I mean are you surprised that it took this long knowing how you know we had just a rash of fixtures in the summer and players were around everybody so often
3: Yeah. You bring up a good point there. I mean, they went, that was what I was so impressed about over the summer that went off without a hitch for the most part. And now we're seeing it, you know, like you said, in general, we're seeing it, you know, in the NFL with the Titans and it just seems like that second wave that they've been predicting all summer is coming upon us. And I was reading the other day that the uh, FIGC has, I think like two sort of contingency plans for what happens like a playoff or like they split you into groups. You only play a certain section of the table. I mean, I guess it's good that they're planning ahead, but I mean, if it all really goes off hill, then what can you really do? And might be looking at another shutdown. I, I think what we saw last week between Juve and Napoli that was a disaster. I mean, they just didn't seem like they knew what they were going to do, and it almost seemed like, yeah, I don't know, I couldn't finish that thought. But it just, it just, it just seemed like, how did you not anticipate this? Why is it coming down? Why is Juve walking down the tunnel, waiting for nobody there? Why are people gloating about it on social media? Why is this a thing? Why couldn't you? Have a contingency plan in
2: place prior to that yeah that I think that's what stands out to me is just that nobody had any plan for what happens i mean the the fact that the leak protocol and the National health protocol were not only not in alignment but were in active opposition to each other speaks to a certain institutional idiocy that I think is a uh, pretty spectacular i I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to say, like, let's keep playing, but also we don't know the long-term health effects of the virus. I mean, we don't know, especially for guys who make a living by performing extremely intense vascular exercise, effectively, once you have the virus, what that's going to do to your lungs, what that's going to do to your heart... In the long term, I mean, Fiorentina have had a handful of players pick it up that we know of. Maybe there were others who weren't comfortable talking about it. And that, I mean, that's the thing that I'm wondering about is like, these are all young, healthy guys. But like, what happens when they're 45 and have been retired for 10 years and then have a heart attack and die like that? I don't think that playing more games is worth that, frankly. And until the league can prove that it can prevent further cases, I don't have any problem with just calling it off for a few weeks or a month and letting everyone get tested, figure out who's got it. And I mean, I'm sure part of this too is that during the summer, the restart still felt like very new, like everyone was staying pretty well quarantined. And now I would imagine that's not as much the case. You know, you, it, it, it's just not human nature to stay that alert to one thing for that long especially when it's way easier to pretend like it's not still a huge problem so to me the the smartest thing to do honestly would be to call it off for a month but as is I don't think Italy's gonna generally do the smartest thing especially when they're trying to get fans back in stadiums instead so yeah I. I'm just going to do the trailing off thing again, since that seems to be my theme for the evening. <laughs> yeah, but what do, you, what do you make of the the
3: It was pointless prior to it, but the UFN Nations League, I, I still don't really understand what the hell the point of that term is, and you're doing it in the middle of a global pandemic seems absurd to me. Um, I also thought you made a, a great point, Tito, about the lingering um, health effects of this, because nobody seems to know. And I think um, you can make an American reference to look at the Big Ten, college football that's part of the reason why they canceled they were just so afraid of liability what would happen if these players get heart conditions and things like that they could sue them you know five ten fifteen years down the road um I, I can't imagine italy is quite as litigious as the united states so maybe that's not an issue but these are certainly things i would hope that people in the figc are concerned about but like we said waiting until the last minute to figure out what to do with in a gigantic match to you and napoli it doesn't really point towards forward thinking to me
1: and just the fact yeah. that Juve was playing a team that just played Genoa which had cases before that game happened and then you just see Genoa cases go from one or two to you know 12-15 within a matter of hours after after that game happened and you're just kind of sitting around after Napoli's first case came up you're just sitting around going okay how many more are happening and then it was from my point of view obviously you know I'm you know, I wanted to see the game happen because it's my team playing, but you you see kind of the 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 evolution of kind of where the blame went was, you know, Juventus issue that statement saying we're we're taking the field no matter what, Napoli's gonna have to show up or else it's it's a forfeit. And then you hear about the local health authority in 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 Naples saying no we're not going to allow them to travel and then people are wondering if that's true or not and then all of a sudden more and more blame on Serie a comes and it's just I mean you mentioned Tito the 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 discrepancy in the in the Serie a protocol and the country's protocol and that's I mean it's it's just so easy to be like how we can just match it up and then maybe take it a step or two further, knowing that it's professional athletes. But as Tito mimes money, honey to me, um, (laughs) it's, it's just, as we our our end theory on it was that it was just Italy being Italy. And of course this happens in Italy because it's Italy, but just the way it was handled was so bad. I mean, it was just such a mess and knowing that this is just the third week of the season I mean, what's it going to be like in December or January if we make it that far? Or, you know, as we're seeing with some American sports, I mean, just this, the juggling of the schedule. I mean, what what the hell is going to happen there? And if there's postponements and knowing the, the schedule is already truncated to begin with, it's just, I mean, it's just a logistical mess just waiting to happen even more so than it already has been.
3: Yeah, maybe they need just some sort of giant biodome
2: where they can all pull <laughs> I am I am very into having uh, Polly Shore run Serie A for uh, for the remainder of the season. I think that is far and away our best possible solution. <laughs> Lots of grindage. Hey now,
1: hey now. <laughs> where, where, do uh,
0: those, yeah.
1: where does that fit in with the uh, Berlusconi bunga bunga parties, Eric? Or-
3: I don't know. And no, now I, I feel know. like I have to, once we're done, I have to go watch like Son in Law or Biodome or something like that.
2: I, I don't <laughs> think I, so I, I love
3: Shore. Encino Man. I loved Encino Man. Such a great movie. Like a Beast Chomofsky. That was his name. <laughs> I have, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to like anything with Brendan Fraser because we're a simpatico with the same name. So it's, I, uh, I root for all Brendans in any walk of life for the most part.
1: Bren is Team Brendan.
3: Brendan Frazier, Brendan Shanahan back in the day with the Red Wings. <laughs> Brendan Morrow, the injured Cubs reliever from a few years ago. <laughs>
2: We're really getting to... into some deep cuts.
3: Yeah, I'm not Brandon, of... though. I don't like Brandon Crawford on the San Francisco Giants. Sorry. Well, he's not there anymore, <laughs> though, is he?
1: Yeah, he's still there. Is he? He had, had one of the best years of his, of his career this year. I mean wow, he's been six, around for a long time. It's 60 games, but,
3: you know. Yeah.
1: Trying to think of a Brendan, but you, you took all of them. So, I mean, of no. course, leave, leave it to the Cubs fan to think of a Cubs fan. There's not
3: that many of us, but uh, <laughs> no, I would highly recommend people listening you have not seen Encino Man, check it out.
2: Lower your expectations, but check it out. <laughs> I'm glad we've turned this into a bad Probably 20, 30 years ago movies podcast from a soccer podcast. I think we should do this more often, <laughs> Brent. is just hijack Danny's spot. It's the international break. You got to entertain yourself.
1: The old ladies talks movies. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, one more, one more question about the men and then we'll talk about the women's league getting going here since we very much are interested in it. The next few weeks, obviously there's Europe starting for some of us and maybe Europe, not for others. <laughs> Licks and resignment, but, uh, I mean, knowing that the schedule is what it is. I mean, what what are kind of the expectations? Where should we set our expectations, knowing that it's basically going to be for those of us in Europe, three games a week for what feels like two straight months, and essentially what it was like over the summer.
3: I mean, I, I guess they're I guess they're used to it, right? They've done it. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't even that didn't even dawn me, but now that I think about it. Roma, they sent out like three wingers, and so we're going to be all of a sudden pretty thin up there when that's usually where we have too many of those, so that'll be interesting. Um, No, I I think just going back to what we just discussed, I think that's more uh, cross-border travel, more international travel that really just heightens the possibility that something might, the virus might transmit across borders and then might shut down multiple leagues, so Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it was exciting over the summer. I really loved covering like three matches a day. It was really cool. It kept things moving. And, you know, it's sort of, it was really exciting. There was never a dull moment. You always had your fix. So I, from that perspective, it would be cool. But I, you know, seeing what's happening now in these leagues, it's, you're right to question whether or not they can get through this.
1: Just rolling from one game to the next was just ridiculous, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of cool. I really enjoyed it. It was like you write everything set up for Monday, and then like you do the post match the next day, and it's like, damn, I got to do that all over again. It just went and went and went. So it made the summer fly by. I liked it. Like, you oh, can't, yeah. obviously, you can't keep that breakneck pace forever, but it was
2: interesting. So, yeah. By the time the end of the season rolled around, I was just exhausted. I didn't want to like look at anything culture related for like a month, which was great because that's when you know transfers and season and preseason and all that so hooray I guess but yeah I, I cannot imagine doing that but hey fortunately moot point for me right <laughs> <laughs> damn it
1: you have a couple of midweek games thrown in there Tito don't worry uh,
3: you really that <laughs> upset about not being in the Europa League
2: actually yeah I love the Europa League I feel yeah. like the champion <laughs> yeah but well no 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 let me let me lay out a case for you here the Champions League, to me, is generally like the same few teams are in it. So you keep seeing the same matchups year in and year out. The Europa League, you never know who's going to wind up in there. It's just so much more interesting. You're going to see like teams you've never heard of play and you have no idea what to expect from them. I mean, even if it's just ugly, ugly ball, it's way more interesting on a, like intellectual and philosophical level to me yeah we got but then uh, again, I'm a huge Fiorentina hipster, so like you know this is very much in character well we got b s
3: c young boys coming up. It's always an interesting name Best i was kind of i kind of hope i would hope that they would have, i would take over the club if I was a billionaire, rise to the ranks, get to the fifa world club world cup so yeah b s c young boys versus new old boys from Argentina. <laughs> that's what i want to
2: see (laughs) didn't they they play juventus a couple years ago and it was the young boys versus the old lady yep is that right yeah (laughs) yeah that i saw so many bad jokes online to which i certainly (laughs) didn't contribute uh but of course you didn't of course you didn't
1: all right we'll wrap things up on a little seria feminili talk we mentioned how kind of wacky the men's table might be but you look at the, uh, the women's table, and it's Sassuolo in second, Empoli in third, and then Milan, Fiorentina, Roma. It, it, it seemed like this might be a little more unpredictable of a season, knowing that there was a whole lot of roster movement outside of Turin. So, I mean, what do you guys think of how, how your clubs have fared so far? And just to kind of – it seems like the competitive, competitiveness of the league uh, Juventus included, knowing how their few, first few games have gone, has been taken up a, a level, lever, level or two to start this season.
3: I think from Roma, it's um, the symmetry between the two teams is pretty stunning because we had uh, pretty high expectations for them this year. I, I wasn't sure if they're going to be title contenders, but I thought at the very least they would be on Juve's heels and at least be um, in the running for second place in that final Champions League spot. But they just sort of had the hiccup. I'm looking at right now, they drew a saw swallow on opening day. That's usually a team they do all right with. But sort of the big clunker for us was losing 2-0 to Empley. Um, and it looks like Empley's three wins, one loss. So they might be the surprise team of the year, uh, which I think it would be good because it's, it's a very, uh, what's the word, stratified league. I think that's the right word. So it's just, if you're not in the top four, you know, you're sort of SOL. But it's just like really that top four being so compact made every single match between Juve, Milan, for- Fiorentina, and Roma, it's just, you know, it was like college football playoffs. It's just every single second, every single pass counts. It was kind of exciting. Uh, But at the same time, the lack of parity, I think, is holding the league back from catching up to, say, France or Spain or England. So um, it would be nice to see more uh, competitiveness, more parity. But I would also like to see Roma do a bit better, obviously.
2: Yeah, I think the league has definitely gotten better. I did not think that Sassuolo were going to beat Fiorentina last time out uh, three to one. So that was a little bit of a bummer, especially because Fiorentina sent them some of their best players this year as they kind of had a little bit of a fire sale, including Aliawanyi to Atletico Madrid, which, you know, I would argue maybe the best player in the league for the past few seasons. And then uh, Tatiana Bonetti, who has led Serie A in assists, I think, over the past couple of years and was on top of the chart this year, was also slated to move over there and, like, had told the club she was leaving and then pulled out at the last minute, like, after she had said her goodbyes. She was out of the lineup for the Sassuolo game and everything. So, like, it's – oh, my God. Like, this is just a mess. Just – oh, my God. This – this league, man, I swear. Anyways, (laughs) uh, yeah. And here here
1: I, and here I thought you were going to say something positive saying the league's getting better and all this stuff. And
2: I guess it's getting better when there's (laughs) enough, when the stakes are high enough for players to like be lured away and then not lured away and like have this vacillation. I guess that's like new and exciting that it's getting reported on, but it's not real good for my blood pressure. So I'm not a huge fan. Uh, that said, very much looking forward to uh, Fiorentina Juve this week. Uh, looking forward to seeing if the ladies could knock y'all out a little bit and compound your misery. I would like that. But yeah, I think for me the takeaway for Fiorentina Femminile this year has just been that, uh, Antonio Chincota is a fantastic coach and has done a really incredible job of getting a just an immensely turned over roster, playing together coherently in a very different style than we've seen from him previously. So, I, I man, just all credit to him. I think he's done a fantastic job with these players.
3: I think we're only – it's only four weeks into the season and just the way that the league works is they well, – where they play two games and they stop for the three weeks. So, it's it's really hard to – Yeah, it was,
1: it was it was three games yeah. and then an international yeah. break. That was almost a month.
3: It's hard to really, you know, get a feel for what's going on with the league. So, I that seems to be what they always do. I, that kind of drives me crazy. Just when you sort of get a feel for it, oh, we're leaving for three weeks. Um, but I don't know. I, I just sort of – I get the impression that everyone's just sort of standing pat holding firm, waiting for, I think it's 2022, 2023 when they can go professional and hopefully invest more money in it. So from a role perspective, a lot of young players who are up and coming and I just hope that they can hang on to them. And I think league-wide, I hope they can hang on to them. You know, Guani leaving for Madrid, great for her, but not so great for the league. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I just don't know how many, how other teams have managed to keep their high-profile players. That's good. So I hope they can do that for the next two years and then hopefully over the long haul, maybe a decade or whatever, they can compete with the league in England, but you know they got all that TV money and they're pulling all the American stars, so it's not likely. So I think maybe the best case scenario would be be the second best league. So I, I hope they can do that. And I just I love the league, but like we said, I just the way it stops and starts so frequently drives me crazy. Yeah,
2: it, it does feel a little bit like a matter of just when I get into it, they pull me back out. But yeah, I mean on the American side, the Fiorentina has two American players this year, which is really cool. we right? trying to get. In-
3: yeah,
2: oh, uh, we do Janelle... too. Yeah,
3: we do too. Actually, one from uh, Connecticut, one from Jersey.
2: Oh, oh, you, oh, you've got the East Coast people, huh?
3: Well, there, uh, it's um, Maria Zecca. So she's uh, from Jersey. So she's got dual citizenship, United States and Italy. And then Allison Swaby, who's from Connecticut, but is represents Jamaica internationally. So I guess they're okay. both technically still
2: Americans. Yeah, yeah, Fiorentina had Janelle Cordia last year, and then just added Abigail Kim. Uh, who is from the Seattle area, which for me is very, very cool. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing her in particular. I think she's going to, she might take like a year to settle in because she's, you know, like 21, I think, and living in a new country for the first time, which like, that's hard, but I think she's going to be just an absolute terror in the league. And I am very excited for her.
1: When are you getting her on the podcast, knowing that you get everybody from
2: Fiorentina on your podcast? you're gonna to have to talk to uh, mike about that one he's the one who actually interfaces with people while i like <laughs> sit in the bunker and furiously type away on stuff you that's your own pr guy essentially yeah he's he is the king of the salesman i will never understand how he does it
1: <laughs> all right on that note i want to thank tito and brent for stopping by and brent especially knowing that it's a late night pod recording for him want well, to thank both of you guys for, for coming by and, and uh, glad we can team up again and, and do one of these. So you can listen to both of their podcasts, search their blog names, I believe, Viola Nation and Chiesa Di Toti on iTunes and Spotify and all the other places. Uh, you can find us on iTunes as well. Search Black and White and Red all over. Uh, subscribe, like, write a review, all that good stuff there. So for Tito and for Brandon, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.